Good evening and welcome to the beautiful historical Marionette Theater. Please take your seats. The show is about to begin. Well, good evening, Toppy. It is a fine night here at the theater, and uh, we have some company yes. along with us. Yes, it's a bright full moon out there. It's the outdoors. It's very bright. Anyway, go ahead. Uh, well, so, of, of course, uh, there's been a few things that have occurred recently. We've had a good old Mother's Day. Did you do anything for Sweet Mama this year? Uh, I, I got her some plants and helped plant, help her plant them. That's, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I, I remember you saying that uh, because of the day of the week that it falls for us, you don't uh, often end up having that as your day off. So I'm sure it was a makeup. We at uh, the, sh- the Chateau here, uh, Chateau Star Sage, ended up doing a makeup lunch date with Mama Billy. We went out. And we had lunch at a place we haven't been to in a while. And then, of course, uh, like any good mother-in-law, she tagged along when we went about our errands, which, you know, usually entails a fair amount of thrifting in dollar stores. And, well, Excellent. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Hubby can tell if I'm lying because he's here with us tonight. Aren't you, honey? Yes, I am. I got to get better on that stupid button. <laughs> well, you know, tonight's show is not about the Jetsons, although there is a bit of technology involved. And so we're going to uh, briefly hop across the pond because it's a special anniversary coming up this fall. It is the 60th anniversary of a British sci-fi phenomenon known as Doctor Who. And so joining us today, our returning guest and friend of the show, the Shy Yeti, Paul of the Shy Life podcast. Hello, I'm back. Hey, I'm glad that we were able to synchronize our watches and yeah. you know make sure that we didn't come at the same time as the tea tray. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and this is a first on the show because uh, you and Hobby Billy are actually virtually at the same table. Yeah, yeah, it's good, it's good. It, uh, and uh, yes, we're in part of Doctor Who knowledge. <laughs> Yes, I I am going to be competing to get a word in today because um, I was introduced to this phenomenon by my husband. So I am not the authority, which is why we've brought the two of you in. So I actually had to force him to watch a few episodes. <laughs> and we'll get into the um, the ins and outs of uh, how I came to traipse into that realm shortly. But uh, for now, I do believe that our senior showgirl is lurking about. Gertie, are you around? Yeah, I got morning voice. Not that it's morning. Oh. <laughs> oh my god oh boy you don't know the sacrifices i make to be here anyways hi paul hello hi Gertie. you're so cute oh um, yeah she is all me. she's all dialed up and wearing her tardis blue dress and <laughs> uh if i'm not mistaken that perfume is, is that lemon pledge yeah. how did you Boy, it's like you can smell me. Mm. Uh, 
Uh-huh. It, well, it is the morning after. So, um, <laughs> Madame, if you could get down to the stage, we're going to do this live. We have an introduction to tonight's discussion. All righty. I'm on my way. <laughs> oh, there she goes. Woo! Keep it on! <laughs> <laughs> The doctor is a misunderstood, kindly older gentleman whose inventions include a mysterious time machine. While out on his rounds, a policeman mistakes the masquerading police box invention and the group finds themselves thrust more than a century in the future when menacing Gallic aliens have invaded. Will they free their time machine from the fallen rubble? Will the doctor find his lost granddaughter? Grab your wellies and a tarp. It's time for Dalek Invasion of Earth 2150 AD. Take it away, fellas. What do you get when you take a dash to the silver screen? A pinch of golden oldies and a smidgen of screaming. It's time for Matinee Minutia with your host, DJ and Toppy. We are back. Welcome to Matinee Minutia. This is a special Doctor Who anniversary discussion and as uh, our senior showgirl just mentioned, we're going to be visiting the uh, phenomenon a la the 1966 uh, theatrical release, Doctor uh, Dalek's Invasion of Earth 2150 AD. So we'll be uh, discussing the cast of that as well as some uh, favorite moments and recollections of the Doctor Who-verse, as we call it. So, uh, Toppy... Um, if you'll read that next line there about mm-hmm. setting the stage. Ordinarily, we'd uh, be setting the stage here with DJ to put things into perspective in terms of things going on during the film, uh, things going on during the time of the film we're discussing a release. But uh, we got the shy Yeti here, and we're going to take advantage. Paul, uh, turn your Wayback Machine uh-huh. And uh, we're going to head to the year 1966, well before you were born. And uh, what was going on in your part of the world? Well, um, a brief overview of 1966. Uh, the Doctor Who TV series had premiered just before the holidays in 1963 uh, on the heels of the tragedy of the assassination of President Kennedy. Um, a prototype fast reactor, new generation nuclear reactor, opens on the north coast of Scotland. The Chancellor of the Exchequer, which is the US equivalent of Treasury Department, James Callaghan, who actually in the 70s ended up being Prime Minister, mm-hmm. um, he announces uh, decim- decimalization of the pound. New coins are issued, uh, now um, 100 pence to the pound. Uh, uh, prior to that, a pound was 24 shillings or 240 pennies. Uh, Barclays introduces the Barclay card. The first British credit card is released. Uh, by the summer, the economy saw the start of a six-month wage and price freeze. Um, England beats West Germany 4-2 to two to win the 1966 World Cup at Wembley. Um, Britain's first Polaris ballistic missile um, a- 
ballistic missile equipped submarine, HMS Resolution, launched at Barrow, Infer- in, uh, launched at Barrow in Furness. Um, meanwhile, back to real life uh, TV Doctor Who, actor William Hartnell um, makes his last regular appearance as the first Doctor in the concluding moments of episode four of the Doctor Who serial, The Tenth Planet, as he regenerates into the second Doctor, who was played by Patrick Troughton. Well, so, uh, you know, talking a little bit about money there, Paul, um, were you, uh, you know, in your uh, university days when you got your first Barclay card? Because I know I got a pre-approved card in the mail while I was at college. I didn't have a job and they didn't care. So that was my out. I charged my one-way ticket to La La Land and here we are in debt. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, yeah, I think it was a bit. I think it might have been a bit later, um, but yeah, I, 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 I did get one, sort of, probably when I had my first job. I, I it would have been, uh, would, would have ended badly. Had it, well, it probably ended badly anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, the important thing is we've learned some responsibilities since those days, right? <laughs> yeah. Well. <laughs> well, you know, enough about politics. Uh, Toppy, we normally talk about those who came into the world at the time of this film. And um, in celebration of our guest from across the pond, we're going to focus a little more on our births there in the United Kingdom. Tell us about the celebrities that joined us in 1966. All righty. Uh, we uh, saw some boys here. Over there in the UK, Lisa Stransfield, she's an R&B soul singer and songwriter. Uh, she's got uh, eight albums, so there. Samantha Fox, uh, another uh, singer and a dancer. Helena Bonham Carter, hey, we know her over here. Mm-hmm. Film and stage actor, partner of Tim Burton. I did, I did not know that. Are they still together? Um, the jury's out on that. Depends ah! on who you ask. <laughs> uh, Bellatrix Lestrange. Ooh, God, I want to use that name as a character on the Smellcast. Uh, Bellatrix Lestrange in the Harry Potter series. Also, uh, more recently, as Princess Margaret, Elizabeth's sister on Netflix's The Crown. And uh, also born in 66, Vanessa Angel. A film and TV actor, you'd know her from Weird Science 90s TV series. Oh, and gentlemen, if you will remind me later on, there is a Peter Cushing. Uh, we normally have a Star Trek connection, but tonight we're going to bring things back to the lead actor in tonight's film, yeah. Peter Cushing. Remind me of Weird Science and the Peter Cushing connection, if you will. Okay. I didn't really have a in theaters. But I'm just going to see... What I, I can com- tell you a little bit about that. It was a big old flop. <laughs> uh, it, it did not perform well in UK, and it did uh, absolutely not perform well in the United States. Uh, the producers bought the rights to do three movies. Uh, the first one, also about the Daleks. That was a success. And it did make money, and it performed extremely well in the UK. And, and of course, that made them say, only a year later, let's pop out this sequel, um, also about uh, the Daleks. But 
Uh, the third movie was never realized because uh, our movie tonight performed uh, dismally, and so they never did do that uh, that second sequel. Yeah, the uh, Dalek Invasion of Earth 2150 AD was released in the summer of 66, and, uh, you know, sci-fi was uh, a popular theme around that time. And uh, one of the films that came out also that year was a film adaptation of the Ray Bradbury novel, Fahrenheit 451. And, uh, that, that was a British movie, wasn't it? It was. Yeah. And you were going to say, Paul, before I so rudely stepped on your toes. <laughs> well, I was just going to say that both the... Um, uh, the movies and and the third one, which was never made, were actually based on stories that went out as TV episodes. So there is a six-part version of the Dalek Invasion of Earth with William Hartnell, and they have changed things for the movie. But um, and there's also a seven-part original story of the Daleks, which makes the the plot for the the first movie. Uh, I mean, I, I can never understand why the second film did so badly because i think because it's on location i think it's a lot more exciting than the original but i guess maybe dalek mania had moved on and maybe beetle mania had taken over which is quite a different thing I, I personally blame barbara because she couldn't be there for that second movie <laughs> but uh, you know if we want to put our minds back in the realm of the 60s when Doctor Who was new. Um, you know, we didn't have a lot of the conveniences that we have nowadays, and we certainly did not have this phenomenon of syndicated television where you could catch the reruns. So mm. I, uh, I would have to guess that part of the appeal that they were trying to promote with making the movies was the fact that back in those days, if you didn't catch the TV show when it aired... You missed out totally because it wasn't repeated, and the next time you were going to see it, it was the same day and time. So if you had a schedule that you had to live by, you just missed out on certain things. There was no talk about it on Monday because you weren't setting up, setting your VCR to record. There were no DVRs then, and, you know... Um, some episodes disappeared from the face of the earth because the BBC literally uh, <laughs> burned them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, there was, the Daleks were really big in those first few years of Doctor Who. William Hartnell had about four stories, and one of them was 12 parts. And then the first Patrick Troughton story was a Dalek story, and then they did another one in the in that same first series of his. Um, so, yeah, it was... it was um, They were a really big thing, and there, were talk, there was talk of... And they were having spin-off series, and uh, which never really um, came to pass. And then there was comic; they were in comic books, and um, they were really big. It's weird to have like the baddies ending up having their own comic strip in it. <laughs> yeah, actually, our movie tonight, I think, was uh, developed into a comic book that ran like a, a one page of it would run a week or something like that uh, in the in the Sunday funnies or, or something like that um you mentioned the, the writer uh houghton what was it paul um the, uh, well there was terry nation who, yeah. who created the daleks and did a lot of the early dalek stories um but i mean the writer of tonight they were actual writers for the tv series i think right that did this movie they wrote it yeah they, and um 
there's even one or two people who uh, like had minor roles in it and the Dalek voices are the people who did the Dalek voices in the TV show and oh those voices yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, well let me tell you a little bit about the director um, he, uh, a, a really a fairly prolific director he he, uh, he knew his stuff he, he, he was a by the books guy his name's Gordon Fleming, uh, born in 34. He passed away in 95. And uh, he started out on TV, in uh, on British TV series, like shows like uh, The Younger Generation, The Saint, we know that in America. The Avengers, we know that too here. Some of these others uh, don't know a thing about. Something called The Baron, Crown Court. Uh, ITV Playhouse and and many others. So he was all over the place on TV, um, uh, practicing his craft of directing. So when it came time to do uh, movies, uh, he was very well equipped. And uh, and two of the movies he directed uh, were Doctor Who movies, um, the nineteen. 19- uh, 60s. So Doctor Who and the Daleks was the first movie came out in 65, and then the, our movie tonight, Daleks Invasion Earth 2150, came out one year later. He directed them both, um, and uh, even uh, Fleming also got around to Hollywood and uh, did direct some uh, American movies. One was called The Split in 1968. It was a crime drama with Jim Brown, Ernest Borgnine. And Gene Hackman. Um, back in Britain, he uh, in, in 1970 he directed a British war film, The Last Grenade. So uh, he was a very practical director, and uh, and, uh, and the filming, although of this our movie tonight, um, poor uh, Mr. Fleming there had some trouble because there were numerous accidents, and also. The star of the film fell ill, and you'll kind of note that Doctor Who isn't in the movie all that much. <laughs> and that's because he was uh, the actor uh, Peter Cushing was ill, and uh, they had to kind of scramble and rewrite things uh, for other actors to take over because uh, you know the production had to go on. But uh, at the end of the day. Um, the director got it done. He was way over time on it because of all the things that happened. And it was over budget. He went over budget. But uh, uh, maybe that's another reason why there was never a third movie. Anyways, that's director Gordon Fleming, our man. Okay. So, uh, you know, before we move on to the cast, the talent that made up this uh, crew... I thought we would take this opportunity to do a little roundtable briefly on our initial impressions and maybe our first honk exposures to the phenomenon that is Doctor Who. Now, uh, I am going to defer to, um, well, the person that is also responsible for my bills. Um, (laughs) Hubby, if you could uh, dust off the microphone there, here's your chance to be in the spotlight. Could you tell us a little bit about the early days when you first came to know of Doctor Who and and how it came to be that you saw it on television in the U.S. of A. where it wasn't even being made. 
I started watching Doctor Who at 11 p.m. on Saturdays in the late 70s with my dad. It wasn't shown any other time in the U.S., in my area at least, until very late at night. So it was something that was special to allow me to stay up until almost one in the morning to watch Mm -hmm. this show, which is quite interesting. Um, So it wasn't mainstream, I guess you could call it. And speaking about tonight's movie, I don't think I saw them until the late 80s. They didn't really show them on American television. So it quickly became one of my favorite TV shows. One of the things that's not often talked about is the connection with it with H.G. Wells' Time Machine and the period that it came out when it was about, what was it, three years after H.G. Wells premiered on the big screen. So, Oh, yeah, and you're talking about the 50s movie that popularized the time machine on screen. 1960s. Oh, it was 60s. Well, forgive yes. me for snoozing. I believe 1960 is when it came out. Yeah, Rod, Rod Taylor. So it always amused me that you know, a few guys sit down and go, we're going to make a TV show like The Time Machine. How can we improve it? How can we make things better? And what can we do with it? And I believe that you also mentioned to me, um, as part of that late night TV viewing, that uh, your father actually often worked overnight. So this indeed was a rare opportunity because, you know, you got... To see Doctor Who and, as you said, spend time with Dad. It was pretty much the only time I ever got to spend with him. (laughs) And that, as they say, is another story. So, uh, going to the uh, the next... um, Contestant? Contestant on uh, no. <laughs> the, 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 the marionette is sometimes right. Um, <laughs> Mr. Paul Chandler, the Shy Yeti, what was your initial uh, entry into this uh, phenomenon? Well, I mean, it was still pretty popular show when I got into it and I was about six. And I, I don't remember if I how long it took me to get into it all i can remember is when i did get into it i got into it in a big way in about 1979 uh which was towards the end of tom baker's time as the doctor and uh it kind of you know star wars was being big around that time and it might as well have not existed for all the interest i had in it because doctor who once it took over took over completely i i, I must be uh, you know i'm a one-man sci-fi fan <laughs> <laughs> um, um but as for the movies they got played quite well quite often i i feel like on saturday morning tv uh, perhaps in the summer holidays when they weren't because uh, there used to be shows that were kind of regular shows uh, on Saturday mornings, but in the summer they gave those shows a break and they'd show a movie, and I, I feel like they showed the, the Doctor Who ones as much as they possibly could. Uh, so I saw those quite a lot, um, and by the time they they were on, I already knew what, you know about the show, and um, yeah, I, I I was I was always particularly fond of this one but, uh, of the two, but. Uh, 
And so I'll take the uh, turn last. Toppy, I know that uh, you you dabble in the Doctor Who verse, and I've had some of that responsibility as well as our guest. But, uh, you know, let us know um, how you came to be uh, hitchhiking on this uh, time machine. <laughs> oh, Hitchhiker Guide to the Galaxy. I see what you're doing there. Um, so... Um, I also became acquainted with Doctor Who in the 70s, probably because of Star Wars' success. Uh, um, Our uh, local uh, public television uh, station in Binghamton, New York, said, Hey, uh, what what do we have that we can get our hands on that's science fiction-y and spacey? And, uh, well... uh, 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 public television was well rehearsed in bringing British uh, productions over and playing them for American audiences, and that's what happened. And it was during the uh, Tom Baker era. And uh, I first saw it on public television. Uh, uh, Billy, I guess um, our Binghamton station played it during the day. So I, mm-hmm. I did not have to wait until very late at night to see it. Um and I, you know, I could swear it was played Monday through Friday. Maybe not, but I swear it was in the afternoon. Uh, anyways, I almost immediately dug it, and here's the re- weird reason why. I didn't know Doctor Who from nothing, but I loved the fact that it was shot on video. And it just had that quality that I love about video. And it had that crazy kind of low-budget, but very clever uh, uh, sets, and they're making the most of everything. I love that kind of production where they're just, (laughs) we need a set, uh, put it together. I know it's cardboard and paper mache, and it ends up looking great, and, uh, you know, uh, the special effects, you know, there's... (laughs) They're they're for video, and I didn't care. I loved it, and that's it's just that weird video gestalt that I loved about it. Probably that's what kept me watching. Um, and then uh, time moved on, and I never saw Doctor Who again <laughs> until uh, very recently. DJ showed me some of the latest Doctor stuff, and uh, but yeah, the whole the whole Doctor Who come back uh, I've you know I just I never watched any of that um, but uh, I'll save that for the end I did see one episode uh, I'll save that at the end when we talk about our favorite episode so there you go okay so I was a latecomer to the Doctor Who verse I grew up out in the sticks, so unlike Toppy and Hubby, I didn't really have a local station that was showing it, and I didn't have a parent that said, isn't this cool, let's watch this together. My dad was more into the golden age of television and uh, musicals from the 50s and 60s. However, I do have a uncle who I am finding out in later years in life, I'm taking more and more after. 
Um, he was a manager of an electronics store in the 90s. He's actually, I think, even possibly district manager. There goes Radio my... Radio Shack? Yes, there goes my nerd meter. Um, <laughs> but my uncle used to drop by, and I'm told that he used to help clean out mom and dad's refrigerator in their newlywed years. But uh, he turned on the television in the, the family room. You know, the den is what we call those. That's our room that has the paneling back in the 70s and 80s. And um, I didn't quite get what he was watching because, again, it was uh, on a budget. And uh, in this case, I think it was Tom Baker. And the music at the time seemed a little bit like an old soap opera where there might have been an organ or something playing. But that was my initial exposure Honk. Uh, and then fast forward to more recent years when the show was reblithed. Um, I remember renting it on Netflix in the mail, getting those DVDs and the little paper envelopes, seeing Christopher Eccleston. And, um, you know, in those days, in the early not aughts, I guess is what we say, because it was um, rebooted in, oh, I think, 06 or 07 ish or something like that. And, um, Anyways, uh, we did not have it on American television as it was being made new. It would be months and months sometimes before they would repeat the episodes that had already premiered in England, like six months or a year before. But finally, we did eventually get to a point where we got them around the same weekend, I think. And when Hubby and I met and moved in together... Uh, David Tennant was just ending his multi-year run, and I had just started seeing the show in new runs, and it was just in time to see him retire and me see my first regeneration into Matt Smith. And I will have you know, at first I was not having it, but then I had that same... Uh, experience that all fans do is that was my doctor and no I don't want to see them leave I don't want to say goodbye so yes hubby had some involvement with my introduction to uh, Doctor Who and as they say that is that so (laughs) okay I, I have to add here he gets very bitter and angry every regeneration and it takes a couple of episodes for him to fall for the new doctor but every time we go through a little mourning and bitterness spell i will say though that i feel that jody whittaker the latest actor in the role was wronged by the pandemic because we should have had another season or series as they say in the uk before she had to go. So there we got too little of the 13th Doctor on screen. Or was she the 14th? Uh, she's the 13th. The next one is the 14th. And then there'll be the 15th quite quickly. So. Okay. Well, I figured she was lucky 13 because when I was a kid, my role models on TV were Claire Huxtable on The Cosby Show and Dr. Crusher on Next Generation. <laughs> I, well, let's... Uh, Let's explain this regeneration thing to the uninitiated. Um, um, Practically speaking, let's just put it that way. First of all, actors would come into the role and be there for a while. 
and uh, kind of want to leave. And uh, they kind of wanted the series to continue. And um, and so uh, we uh, have the introduction of this whole idea that the Doctor regenerates from time to time. And that explains why Doctor Who uh, looks different as the years go on. I think it's genius. I don't know who thought of that. But what a great way to have continuity but have different actors come and go he regenerates of course he does wonderful <laughs> so um, by the way I, I don't think the movie uh, tonight uh, refers to regeneration in any way um, they just you know it's just Peter Cushing is Doctor Who it's around, and, uh, the, it's around the same time as um, I, I'm not quite 100% sure of, of, of the months but they hadn't it probably hadn't happened the first regeneration they must have known it was or the BBC people knew it was going to happen but the film people may not have done at that stage um, so yeah the whole that whole I'm not quite sure exactly on the timings of sort of how much planning went into that before it happened so yeah and uh, it was about I think sorry to interrupt it was mm-hmm. about I think six months because it was in the fall that yeah. they showed the episode in yeah. June or July when the movie came out yeah so it was before and allegedly as the as the grapevine goes there was a falling out with one of the producers before William Hartnell conveniently took ill <laughs> yeah. So but that's a that's a fun part with this movie is it's a snapshot of Doctor Who at its current period. Mm. When you look back on it, not realizing, not knowing where are the time lords, does he regenerate? Yeah. Where's the sonic screwdriver? All of the fun stuff that has compiled into the show over decades is sadly missing from this because it hadn't been thought of yet. So uh, I, this is a neat little snapshot of Doctor Who very early uh, I believe in the first the first of the films it's it, it's not really covered as much in the second one but I'm, I'm sure um, in the first one it's more like he's a, a, a professor-y type scientist who, who might, there's no there's no sort of detail as to whether he's human or not human. Right. Really right. mention it at all in 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 the second one at all, and and it's kind of presumed you've seen the first one, I suppose. Yeah, I don't that? think they use the word time lord at all. No, no, they um, not. And uh, in in these movies, he's he's uh, uh, an inventor uh, mm. is is really how they you know he's a he's a got a great brain and he's an inventor really. He invented a telephone time machine. <laughs> And uh, I, I, yeah. I am of the understanding that originally in the early versions of Doctor Who's story, there wasn't a connection between the little girl who was traveling with the older gentleman. But then um, some of the uh, people that might have been working for the censors said, uh, we can't have that. That's inappropriate. So uh, this is his granddaughter, and she's traveling around with her grandfather, and that's her teacher. So, uh, you know, now we all have a reason that we can be together in the same room without otherwise being supervised and um speaking of supervision we have a uh, actor in the lead the uh the um title 
of uh, the show, of course, is Doctor Who, and we have the leading man, Mr. Peter Cushing, who played the Doctor in uh, Dalek Invasion of Earth 2150, our discussion tonight. And uh, if you would do us the honors, Mr. Shayeti, please tell us about Mr. Peter Cushing. Yeah, um, as you say, he, he played the Doctor. They Well, they refer to him as Doctor Who, which... Um, yeah, it's only really in the films. He's very rarely referred to as, as Doctor Who in the TV show. Um, even that's the name of the show. But anyway, Peter Cushing was born in Surrey, UK, where I'm talking to you from now. Um, uh, he he was inspired to act by his favourite aunt, who was a stage actress. He began acting in the 1940s, had a supporting role in the 1952 version of Moulin Rouge, which starred Zaza Gabor. Um by, by his passing in 1994, he had 131 acting credits. Um, Peter Cushing's film prior to Dalek Invasion was called Island of Terror, and which is described as an isolated remote island community is threatened by an attack by tentacled silicates, which liquefy and digest bone and, uh, bone and tissue. Sounds lovely. Romantic <laughs> comedy, I presume. Um, his film after... Uh, this film was uh, Frankenstein Creative Woman, which was one of the many Hammer films he did. Um, uh, in the five years leading up to the Dalek invasion, he did 15 films. Um, he appeared in four uh, in 1961 alone, and another four in 1965. Um, and he continued through the 70s. Uh, and by the 1980s, he was still working in film. Uh, appearing in just six films before his final film a decade later, which was called A Touch of the Sun, uh, with Oliver Reed and Keenan Wynn. Um, and that's described as a bumbling U.S. Marine captain is assigned to retrieve a space capsule from a despotic African ruler. Uh, and we should mention for those well, that just may not have heard of Peter Cushing or know what he looks like, well, for heaven's sakes... He had a role in the first Star Wars movie uh, that came out. And, of course, I can't think of his name. What character did he play? Didn't he get choked to death for his troubles? No, not to death. Oh. But, but, <laughs> Certainly uh, roughed up. Grand yeah. Moff Tarkin. There you go. Oh. So Peter Cushing um, became known to a whole new generation because of Star Wars. As a matter of so did Alec Guinness. But anyways... Uh. So there you go. Most people, if you've seen Star Wars, and of course everyone has, you know Peter Cushing. So I'm going to share my callback to Peter Cushing. Earlier we talked about some of the UK celebrities who celebrated a birth in the year of this film in 66. And among those was Vanessa Angel. Now, as was mentioned, in the 90s, Vanessa Angel appeared on American television in the TV adaptation of the John Hughes Weird Science. Now, uh, the call back to Peter Cushing in this case is during the beginning of the film when the young boys are cooking up the idea of making a woman with their computer. They're watching a bunch of late night horror movies. And one of those is the Peter Cushing film uh, Frankenstein Created Woman. So, while they're cooking up the idea of making a woman, you see this beautiful scene from Frankenstein Created Woman where Peter Cushing says, 
No, woman. <laughs> Great comic. Uh, I'm going to talk about um, the uh, actor who played the granddaughter of Dr. Hugh in a, in a second, but before I forget to mention this, um, Peter Cushing is so associated with Hammer movies that I went into this just assuming that our movie tonight was a Hammer movie. Uh, I was surprised to find out, no, it's not, it's not a Hammer movie. Uh, so, but I, that's how that's how associated, at least for me, Peter Cushing is to movies. That Hammer, Hammer, Peter Cushing, Christopher. But, but, um, but Toppy, the the, the 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 connection um, that it does have uh, is that although it doesn't appear on screen, uh, as well as being in Hammer films, he was in a lot of Amicus films, which were like the anthology films like Tales from the Crypt and uh, a lot of those that went through the late 60s and into the 70s. And the company who made Amicus films made the Dalek films, but before they'd come up with the name Amicus. So this is an early Amicus film, um, as was the previous one. So I guess there is the connection with that strand of his career. Um, but, Interesting. Uh, well, let's talk about the lovely... Roberta Tovey, who's a little goyle dressed in red. She pops right out on the screen in these uh, Technicolor movies. Uh, Roberta Tovey uh, played the Susan of the granddaughter of Doctor Who. She was born in 1953. She is an English actress. She's appeared in movies and television. And probably her best-known role is that of Susan in both of the Doctor Who movies of this period uh, that starred Peter Cushing. Uh, but she also appeared in some other productions, something called Never Let Go in 1960, Touch of Death in 61, A High Wind in Jamaica in 65, Runaway Railway uh, in 65, uh, some others called Operation Third Form in 66. The Beast in the Cellar in 1970. I want to see that. <laughs> I have a copy. I think I have a copy. <laughs> uh, she was also on a TV series, Not in Front of the Children, from 67 <laughs> to 68. Uh, she was in uh, something much... Um, ten years later, she was in a movie called Going Straight. And I th think that was an American production. I'm not sure. Uh, and she was in uh, all the way back another 10 years later. She was in My Husband and I in 1987. And today, lovely Tovey still enjoys uh, appearing uh, once in a while when they're in the UK. Doctor Who conventions, which were and are a huge thing, especially in the UK. And she still shows up from time to time to recall her time on these 60s Dalek movies. Oh, good. goodness. Now, uh, talk about uh, calling back here, um, Paul. That name that was in the list of films that she did, not in front of the children, that makes me want to ask, was that the British version of Married with Children? <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure if that was a... That might even have been a sketch show, but... Um... A comedy sketch show, but I, I'm not 100% sure because a lot of these shows don't exist anymore, of course. So mm. you know the names or you hear the names, but you don't always know them. But uh, 
Um, yeah, I'm not sure. Well, so Doctor Who is um, quite um, well associated sort of with the idea of... Uh, hitchhikers because of course you have a kindly older gentleman who's sometimes younger traveling around in this time machine which is basically the family station wagon in some versions of the show and uh, from time to time we have a new person that joins the crew and so we have this policeman who happens to wander upon things and he's played by Mr. or shall I say um Sir Bernard Cribbins. Now, hubby, Billy, if you will do us the honors and tell us a little bit about Mr. Bernard Cribbins. Well, Bernard Cribbins, OBE, was an English actor and singer whose career spanned more than seven decades. During the 1960s, Cribbins became known in the UK for his successful novelty records, The Hole in the Ground, and Right Said Fred and for his appearances in comedy films, including Two-Way Stretch and the Carry On series, which we actually watched a couple this year. Um, His other on-screen roles include the astronaut Vincent Mountjoy in The Mouse in the Moon, Albert Perks in The Railway Children, the barman in Fela Forsythe's Alfred Hitchcock's Frenzy, and the pretentious hotel guest, Mr. Hutchinson, in Faulty Towers episode, The Hotel Inspectors. On the television, he was a regular and prolific reader for the BBC series, Jack and Mary, from 1966 to 1991. He narrated the children's television program, The Wombles, from 73 to 75, and he played the title role in the CBeebies, series Old Jack Boat from 2013 to 2015. In the 1966 film Dalek's Invasion Earth 2150 AD, Cribbins portrayed Tom Campbell, a companion to Doctor Who, and surprisingly, 41 years later, he began appearing in the revival series of Doctor Who as Wilford Mott, the grandfather of regular companion Donna Noble and temporary companion to the Tenth Doctor. Oh, and uh, of course, those of you listening who may be Doctor Who fans will recall that Donna is set to reprise her role in the upcoming anniversary episodes. Yeah, and um, Bernard Cribbins was... And he's only quite recently died. He used to live down the road from where I live now, but I never met him. But um, he he was seen on set um, when they were filming the David Tennant return episodes, which haven't yet been screened. So we we it was very close to the time when he passed those. So whether he features briefly as a cameo or because um, he was he appears in scenes where he's in a in a wheelchair. So whether that was him in real life or him as the character in a wheelchair we'll have to wait until November to find out <laughs> I want to say um, about Cribbins and, and his role as, as policeman Tom uh, is I, th- I thought really one of the cutest things about tonight's movie was the way uh, his character bookends the film uh, because it starts with him uh, coming upon uh, a robbery and he ru- runs into a telephone booth to mm-hmm. make a call for help. And, of course, 
it's not really a telephone booth. It's uh, the time machine of Doctor Who, and that's how he comes into the whole adventure. And then, cutely enough, uh, they return back in time, but just a smidge earlier, so that um, Bernard Cribbins has time uh, to capture the two uh, robbers at the very end of the movie, the two that uh, you know he he ran into at the beginning, and he's just he just clonks them on the head with uh, one of those things, a billy club or something, and drives away with them in their in his back seat, and he's just really proud of himself. So oh. I thought that was a wonderful way to end the movie. And he was I mean, so proud of himself, and I think you're going to conclude with that, Paul. Well, I was going to say he is known. For mainly doing comedy roles, and the scene when he's with the Robo Men, trying to mix, trying to fit in with them um, when they're getting their dinner, um, I'm pretty sure that was there for for him to be able to do some sort of slapstick comedy scene. Um, yeah, let's, <laughs> let's talk about that now that we're getting into the movie. Uh, that scene in particular, <clears throat> to me felt so out of place um, because it was so comedic and the the music even tells you hey you guys this is supposed to be really funny so laugh it up I mean they just have this goofy score by the way the score on this movie is all over the place <laughs> what a mess it was anyways I just thought what it's a lengthy scene and it's totally played for laughs and but I think the, right yeah the, yeah the um the, in the first movie, the the sort of guest male role is played by an actor called Roy Castle, and he is also known for being a sort of comedian. And, um, uh, and so, so, yeah, having Bernard Cribbins in this one kind of fits along that sort of getting that character in as a, a sort of, well, at least with the potential of doing a comedy scene. Or, yeah. And it really was a comedy scene in the middle of a movie. Think of the humor in mm, uh, modern Marvel Universe movies. There's a lot of humor in those movies, but it's really well mixed into the whole thing. But this was like a comedy scene in the middle of a science fiction movie. Uh, and so I, I just thought, wow, this is really crazy. This is nuts. <laughs> So we, the I love Lucy moment where the food machine yeah. <laughs> does not turn off was very reminiscent of the I love Lucy episode where the they go and make chocolates and the machine gets sped up. I mean, I, there was a few things, especially in that room, like them jumping through the garbage disposal to escape. Um, yeah, that could have ended badly. It, it could have been a mincing machine. Up to the end. <laughs> that, that's exactly what what DJ and I was saying. I mean, they they just throw it out. <laughs> just in time for the holidays, Paul mince pies. <laughs> uh, apparently, the uh, dump leads directly to outside, and there was no garbage or anything down there when they escaped. Maybe. I I had to wonder <clears throat> if maybe maybe that. Is, was an inspiration for a scene in Star Wars where they escape by <laughs> going down a chute and end up in a real mushy dumpster. So, uh, plans to recycling plans has obviously been dumped by um, 2150. 
Right. Well, all I can say is that there clearly was not a garbage strike at the time. Right. <laughs> and, and nobody wants to be under the Dalek ship when no. the Daleks decide to empty their casings. Oh, yes, yeah, some blue ice going on there. So, Hubby, we were just talking about how um, when Bernard Cribbins' character has celebrated his win and he's driving off in the car to take the, the hoodlums in and he's sort of patting himself on the back. Do you remember the moment of irony, though, as he's carrying on in the car and uh, it, it pertains to an accomplishment later in his life? Do you remember? The OBE, the Order of the British Empire. Yes, he's congratulating himself and he's saying, you know, oh, I'm going to be knighted. And, you know, it was many, many years before Bernard Cribbins could even consider that even possible. But it's just a, a favorite fan moment callback where it's like, oh, hey, he talked about it and it eventually happened. <laughs> yeah, in real life. That's interesting. So, uh, this movie was a little all over the place. I really enjoyed it. Um, some of the theme scenes were, were even exciting, maybe a little thrilling. Um, and for me, I thought the special effects were also all over the place. There was one scene where it was so clearly a painted backdrop that I just said, you got to kidding me. <laughs> but other scenes, the models of the spaceship were so right on. Uh Except for the fire on the mountain, that that made it obvious it was a model. But uh, you know that spaceship was pretty well done. I, I don't know whether um, uh, Eddie, you know, I, the, the copy I watched was from my early noughties DVD. I don't know whether they've done the work to later releases, or but um, you can see the strings, particularly <laughs> on the early scenes on the spaceship. But I love the spaceship. It's done. It's done so well, and so, so it just really looks like it's there. Not not in every shot, but in some shot with the clouds, it really does look like. I, I don't know if there were larger scale, larger size models as, as well as smaller size ones. And but um, yeah, I, I, it's one of my favourite UFOs in any sort of film, certainly from that era. Um, it, it's it's really well well it's done. The, but yes, you can I can see the strings a few times <laughs> on my print anyway, but. The first scene when it first arrives was excellent. We watched it on the big screen, and you couldn't even see the, script, the, the strings or anything. And it seems to degrade as the film goes on. You can see the strings, but they did do an excellent job. Mm -hmm. um, and, Toppy, I have a question for you. Yeah. Something that I was quite shocked about when looking at behind the scenes, the whole scene of the the burned out village, the whole city that was burned out. I thought that was filmed on location somewhere. It wasn't. It was actually a set. A lot of the buildings were done on a soundstage. Um, did you realize that during the movie that they were sets or did you think that they were on location? Um, I, I think it, it varies. Uh, there, there was one dead giveaway, and that's what I mentioned. The It's so obvious it's a painted backdrop, and that was why on one of the sets with wreckage in the foreground and then a wrecked city in the background that was so obviously painted. So, yes, I did. I did know they were sets, because and that was the dead giveaway, that painted background. Ironically, um, one of the things that's, diff that's different between the TV version and the film version is in the TV version, they actually did go around some of the London locations 
uh, um, like very early in the morning and get some film footage of of the character, uh, some of the characters, sort of uh, a sort of chase sequence. And there was a lot of promotional photos at the time of the Daleks crossing by Big Ben. So. Um, yeah, the BBC version did actually have more actual London, real London in it than the movie version. Although, um, yeah, I mean, they they still did very well, but you wouldn't necessarily be 100% sure that it was London so much. Yeah, and what do you guys think about this? I, I think it was obviously a budget concern. I mean, obviously this movie had a much, much bigger budget than those television productions. But still, it wasn't a really great big production although our movie tonight had a bigger budget than the first one mm-hmm. uh the previous year but there was no attempt and this movie takes place in 2150 2150 that's a long goddamn time in the future but there was no attempt to make anything look futuristic on earth and i i i just thought wow wow you know <laughs> they missed out on that, but I'm assuming it was just a budgetary thing. They they didn't have the money to do it. What do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, it makes you wonder what they they couldn't have just put put a, a line sort of saying all oh, the like the country's been in um, decay for years. Um, <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> yeah, a, a, a very long time, okay. um, but that wasn't. Yeah, they could have explained it with a line, like with the policeman sort of saying, "God, it doesn't look that much different to the <laughs> right." <laughs> I I I recognize this neighborhood. <laughs> I, I don't know for sure, but there were scenes with advertising and yeah. posters that were <laughs> from the '60s that they showed in the destruction scenes mm. as well. So. Yeah. Certain, I think it was a boxing match or something on the wall that was still there in 2150. Yeah, Sugar Puffs, um, <coughs> um, the cereal. Uh, that was it. There, there was placement um, of Sugar They were a sponsor. <laughs> I mean, I'm... They su- also filmed in the toy company, didn't they? Oh, yes. Yeah, the warehouse, I believe, was the, the toy factory. What do you mean the toy factory? What, what's well, the, uh, in, in real life, the the location that they filmed in was a toy factory, and oh. and there's a scene in the movie where they're going through sort of a warehouse like setting, and that actually ended up being a toy factory that they used. End of part one.